This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey podcast, Joe from Team Gary here. Today's episode is an interview that Gary did on the That Will Never Work podcast with Mark Randolph. He talks about how to develop an informed business instinct as why you shouldn't dwell on what the alternative outcome will be. Enjoy. And this this is going to be kind of off the rails because my opportunity to speak to Gary, I'm going to ask things that I'm personally curious about. So I kind of have this theory that kind of life has these phases to it. And for me, kind of phase one was up until I was 30, where I really had no clue what I was about. I didn't know what my passion was. I didn't know really where I was going. And I was really lucky. I had this kind of mentor who kind of grabbed me and said, you know, how, how old are you? And I said, well, I was 29. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, you don't have far to go. He goes, usually when you hit 30, all of a sudden, everything becomes clear. And God, lo and behold, he was right. Then all of a sudden I could go, oh, I like what I'm doing. I can see a path from here. I have family now. I have balance. And it set up this wonderful period of my life. So here's what I was going to bring up is that the second period for me started when I turned 45. Uh, the next third period really started to 45. And 45 was the year that I left Netflix. Mm-hmm. 45 was a little bit after the Netflix IPO. And it was this real boundary for me because I so distinctly remember we were, uh, I went to the IPO, we were in New York, we were up in the Merrill Lynch trading floor and it was kind of anticlimactic. You know, there was no bells <laughs> to ring, no confetti, just kind of the trading started. But it, it was a significant milestone. And I remember leaving the building and I was with my eight-year-old son, Logan. And we had a New York objective because he grew up on California, as mm-hmm. known to me. And I go, I'm going to take him to get uh, some real New York pizza. So we're in the cab and we're heading down from the Merrill building downtown to go to original razor. One of, whatever, like 80 of them now. But um, I remember thinking I could kind of do whatever I want now. And it was a really weird feeling because you think you have all these opportunities, but instead it's kind of throws you off balance. Mm-hmm. So since in so many ways, you and I have had these similar trajectories and I kind of know we see the world the same way and we have these same motivations and in some ways, some of the same superpower. And I know that you just hit 45. Yes. And I'm wondering, do you feel that things are changing for you? I do. And I think things are always changing. And to your point, I think, you know, round numbers get people thoughtful. I think people think differently around their zero and five birthday. You know, whether it's 20 or 25, 30, 35, right? Um, You know, for me, I, as a child, spent a lot of time hanging out with grandparents. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I was very gravitated towards, you know, 70, 80 year olds when I was seven, eight, nine, 10. Just, it was just a thing. I was, very close to my great grandfather when we first immigrated to America, spent a lot of time with him, you know, at the park when I was three, four, but I remember it. I literally remember it more. Maybe I was more four, four. Then we moved to Jersey. I remember like I just, and then definitely from like 1982 to 1988, every time a grandparent would come and visit, 
I just always felt this weird association towards them and would always ask them stories, history. And so I've always felt in a lot of ways that in hindsight, as I got older, I was like, oh, I'm an old soul. I like wisdom. Like, oh, I was such a bad student, but history was something I was always really, the only Bs I had on my report card on regular classes not named Jim were in history. <laughs> and, and even like my current passion in discovering what I think is about to play out with NFTs and the whole non-fungible token blockchain, a lot of it has to do with psychology and history and IP and all this stuff. So things are changing, but not from a wisdom standpoint. You know, I, I, I of course, I be, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you something tangible. I've come to realize recently, called last two, three years, that my greatest vulnerability as a leader, believe it or not, because people are confused by this because I'm so candorous on interviews and on stage, but as an operator, I so struggle with delivering bad news, believe it or not, that I, I've struggled with candor and I've created this term for myself, kind candor. I've come to realize that it's a vulnerability and I wanna be better and all of us evolve and we wanna be better and kind candor is something that I've stood up recently in my own mind and now even within VaynerX, my holding company, I want people to be able to do that because it leads to entitlement and resentment if you're not deploying candor. Um, but I think what's happening for me is I've always in my mind put a premium on 50 to 60 years old. I've always, probably since I was about 19 or 20, started having these feelings that 50 to 60 was gonna be the money shot. And so, you know, when you're 26 and thinking about 50 to 60, you're like, oh my God, I have a whole nother life to live before I even enter my quote unquote prime. But now I'm 45 and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm about to go into this thing that I've put on a pedestal, a thing that's been intuitive to me and I'm excited about it. I feel like I'm gearing up and I feel experienced to go along with the raw talent that I was gifted with. And um, you know, I've, I've never lacked confidence, not because I was audacious, but because my confidence came from my conviction of appreciating the process over the results. Yeah, the, the plunging in, just the uh, let's let's do something and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm pretty excited about um, this. Do you still believe it's the money shot? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I do feel like it makes sense to me. And maybe when I'm 60, I'm like, no, wait a minute. It was 70 to eight, you know, like, you know, <laughs> but I, I do think I do think that there is a time and a place and a prime and a I do think that, you know, I, I think I've always felt that business had more similarities to sport than people realized. I think it's not, you know, I think it's naive not to, there's been no athlete that's come along and has been consistently the same athlete for all eight, 12, 15 years of her or his career. There is a prime. And oh, uh, yeah, I get it. The, the thing that I'm trying to curious, and, and you know, I'll check in with you in five years and see how it feels <laughs> is that the uh, certainly 10, the skill 10 is going to be more interesting because I'll be in the eye of the storm. If you Perfect. check in with me in five years, which I'm happy to do, I'm going to be hyped because I'm like, here we go. There probably is some some time in your schedule just about freeing up uh, nine or ten years from now, but you know it's I do I I spend as you do a ton of time with young people you know people who are still in high school people who are still in college and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm spending a bunch of time with some TikTok people right now who have this huge early fame 
And it's funny because they are very economically focused. I mean, to them, that's the hurdle. And it's, you know, you try to say, and I never quite know how it's getting through, that you will see that there needs to be more to it than that. And that what I think of huge advantage of when we hit 45 and when I hit 45 is you do have all these skills and you go, I know I can do business stuff, but now I've got to be selective about what I want to apply these skills to. What is the business that I want to do? What is the non-business that I want to do? How do I want to use it? It's a really kind of interesting, uh, interesting struggle, at least for me. Of I, saying think how right. I think I think when you're young, time is your teammate. Yes, exactly. And I think as you get older, you you know, it's really how the brain works. When you're seven and you've got to wait to your 10th birthday, you've only been on earth for seven years. That's half your life ahead of, like half the life you lived is what you're anticipating to be double digits. But when you get to 45 and one year is a small percent, like it goes fast, right? That's how you get. And so I think that's an extremely valid point. One of the things I worry about is I live in such abundance that I need to be thoughtful about my time resource. Yeah. And I do feel like I'm vulnerable to that mistake. And it is something that runs subconsciously and has now become conscious for me of like, hey, you value the serendipity and the learning and the curiosity so much. You need to be careful here because how many more innings do you have? Plenty, because I'm a guy that's like, I'm going for another 45, but, but you still need to be thoughtful and you never know when a rock hits you in the head and it's over. And so you gotta be thoughtful. It's also, I think that, you know, I think one of the things that you and I have in common is also a huge curse is that we, we see these huge opportunities. I mean, I know that that's how you're, you're wired. It's that almost life arbitrage thing. And whether it's being at a garage sale and seeing something, I'll go, oh my God, I can buy that for five bucks and sell it for 20. Mm -hmm. But I see that all the time, not at garage sales, but I see that in business opportunities. I go, just like, you know, with, with empathy, where you go, oh my gosh, there is this opening for a native direct-to-consumer I mean, that's, that's And you go, fuck, I'm just going to create it. Yeah. Uh, but, but the thing is, th those, especially as you get better and get more attuned and get better skills, those things accelerate. And that's when you go, holy shit, I've got to back up a little bit. I've got to realize, I've got to focus a little bit and kind of pick my battles. I literally texted my brother AJ today, four hours ago, three hours ago, crippled by opportunity. That was <laughs> it's it's tricky. It really is tricky, and it's so hard. I mean, and I feel it, and I personally feel it in all kinds of ways. I certainly feel it. I, you know, I'm so lucky now. I get all kinds of invitations, either to invest or to advise or to be part of things. And man, it is such a struggle to say no. So, I just, and it's not because, I, especially when you're an optimist and an entrepreneur. Yes, exactly. You're, you're in the yes business. I. I once uh, I once described it to someone as it's like someone it's like walking by on the sidewalk and seeing a little basket full of puppies with no one there, and God, you can't walk by. You've got someone's got to do this. And whenever I see an opportunity, I go, I just want to do it, and I want to make it real, no matter how unrealistically uh, impossible it is. It's just a really it's a really tricky fun. I mean, I'm certainly glad I was gifted with that. It certainly has worked out really well for me. But boy, sometimes uh, I've really got to struggle to. Uh, to control myself. Yep. Um, 
I got a, a related uh, or somewhat related one. So since we brought up uh, empathy, so probably you the same. One of the things I get asked all the time by entrepreneurs is when do I stop? How do I know when to give up? And I'll save I, you time. I never know how to, how to answer that. But it's, my question it's an is- impossibly difficult question. The, the answer is nobody on earth knows. <laughs> so I, you know, I did a company after, after Netflix, which was Looker Data which we tried to sell. And I look back, oh, it's such a 2020 hindsight thing. You, and you did it because of the information you have at the time. And you look back and go, ah, we should have wrote it. We were on the verge of going public. Just think what that would have been like, not just as a business, but as a cultural thing. And I'm wondering, would you struggle with the same thing with empathy or even before that with uh, Resi? You know, Empathy and Resi were great exits. They're nine-figure type deals. They were big wins. I had partners who were operating. I was more in chairman and founder level. So I've never really sold a company that I'm navigating day-to-day. -day. They're both family businesses, Vayner and Wine Library. And so I didn't have any regrets with either because I wasn't the jockey. I was the inventor of the horse or a yeah. co-inventor but I wasn't the jockey, you know? I might've been the trainer, but I wasn't the jockey. And so I don't have those feelings because of that scenario. And for everybody who's listening back to trying to provide value, you know, <laughs> he heaven, heaven, my dream of heaven is it'll show you all the scenarios because I think that'd be really cool. But, but other than that, my make pretend of how I want heaven to be, nobody could ever tell you that if you, held on to it for another month, that X would have happened. And there's a, and that's cool. And then there's a million people who wrote it out for another three years and got, a, I mean, you know, you and I have run in circles where we know incredible horror stories of people passing on selling their company for 210 million only to have it go out of business or pass and selling it for 44 million only to have it sold for 19. Like people always think of it as a one-way street, it goes both ways, and that's important. Oh, it certainly is, especially if you've been in, certainly like I have in Silicon Valley for a long time, you've seen so many horror stories. It gets drilled into you that you don't want to bet your whole life on uh, an uncertain future. I mean, there's one thing to have confidence, and there's one thing to take risks, but certainly even the biggest risk takers do what they can to hedge the risks. You know, one time... I was um, I worked for a company called Borland, a big software company a long time ago, was crushing it because we were looking like we were going to overtake Microsoft, if you can imagine how ridiculous an assumption was that back then. <laughs> but I but I had stock options and they were worth a lot of money. And I was in a bar in Hong Kong with our VP of sales on some sales tour, to, just to put a crazy scenario here. And I was going, God, this stock price, it is going great. And he goes, yeah, I hope you're selling. And I go, selling? Why would I want to sell? It's like, it's going up and up and up. And he goes, no, you are out of your mind. He goes, you, you should, every time your stock vests, sell. And he goes, you'll always have more coming than you sold. And if you're doing a great job, they'll keep giving you more. But if you don't sell anything, you're up, your downside is unlimited. You could go to zero. All you're doing is taking slight caps on your upside. And Ben, from that moment, and that was a long time ago, every single chance I get, I try and hedge. I mean, even with Looker, as that was going up, every chance, every round, 
we'd sell into the round a little bit just to take a little bit of money off the table and go, I have no idea what's going to happen, but at least I have, uh, I have something for my efforts. It's a, there's the other side of it. I was early into Facebook, but not as early as the original hundred two employees. A lot of those kids sold Facebook at 18 at 19 when it hit the floor at 25 at 27, you know, that was a mistake. You know, they were sitting out, you know, some of those people were thrilled to get the $10 million. The problem is 10 times that is a hundred. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways to play it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the real key is you can't, you just can't look back. You can't worry about this stuff. It's unknowable. You just got to move on and you go, there'll be more, uh, be more fun yet to come. And I think the thing is, if you're tr- the same people who are always worried about what could have been, and I don't want to do this, I make the wrong decision are the people who are scared to move forward, who are scared to, you know, another great thing that you and I kind of have in common is this whole, most advancement comes from just starting, just doing something. Stop, stop thinking. I love the, uh, you know, you, I don't know how many, how long ago this was, you did that, what, seven or 800 page slide deck about mm-hmm. how to do 60 some odd pieces yep. of social media in a day. Yep. And I remember that was, it was one line in there or something that goes, the thing that gets everyone in trouble is they have this standard of production value. Correct. And so they just spend the whole time tweaking Debating. fonts and mm-hmm. rather than just fucking putting it out there and then moving on to the next one. And that's so much more powerful. And God, that's something that I've done time and time and time again is train myself that I'm totally okay with shit. I'm totally okay testing something that has broken links and has bad Correct. images. And you, just learn, you, you learn nothing from something perfect I, that I never always, sees like that, you know? I always say you can't read about doing push-ups. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a similar one. I go, you can't learn to play tennis by watching a video. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Exactly right. Yeah, you got to, you know, listen, while we're sharing, the other one is that basically uh, the key to success is being willing to seem like you're a five-year-old, which you is. Know, it's funny you say that. I've been really, I'm writing a new book and that will be out probably in the winter and curiosity is a very big theme in it. Yeah. I really believe that that has helped me quite a bit. What's well, curiosity? It's not knowing in advance what can't be done and it's being willing to look like an idiot. You know, I don't know if you humility. speak any languages. Oh, I'm with you. you want to learn humility. French? You got to sound like you're 5 years old for a couple of years and being willing humility. to go into restaurants and say I'm um, I can't speak. <laughs> but I'm going to try and that's how I'm going to learn. Humility. Humility. It's a it's a it's a big one too. It's uh, it's funny. I'm very hot on those. Keep going. No, it's cool. I, I mean, I, I, I want to. I, as you, as you probably know, I just, I'm trying to follow in the Gary V foot, uh, path. I have a podcast. Just when you're going, I'm not going to interview for the podcast, but I'm going to do a, trying to do a podcast, and mostly not one where I interview, you know, really successful entrepreneurs because that's been done and done yeah. way better than I could do it. Yep. But kind of doing much more along the Ask Gary V stuff where I work with and mentor people, which I've been doing for 15 years, and now I'm just recording it. But it's called That'll Never Work. And one of the things I was curious about, one of my premises is that every single person who does something new, hears that. You all you come rushing in and tell your wife, that'll never work. You tell your investors, that'll never work. And I'm just, I'm sure you've heard that a hundred times. And I wonder if there's some of those that really stand out in your mind when someone told you that'll never work and what you were thinking at the time. Well, this is a wild question for me, Mark, because I would argue that my entire life 
husband that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my, you know, I pretty, I've been innovating my whole career. You know, I was a bad student. So I, from day one, I was told I would never be anything by the establishment outside of my mom, you know? So that was good because it made me not scared. Right. You know, like by the time I became a grown up, you know, I was told. But the one place I was never told that was at the consumer level. At the lemonade stand, at the baseball card show, at my dad's liquor store, I was shining. The consumer always said yes to me. But humans who had judgment of what I was up to always said no. I'm going through it right now. Last two weeks, I've been explaining to everybody what I'm going to do in NFTs. Uh-huh. Now, now I have some reputation, so people are a little bit more thoughtful with their nose. <laughs> they, they hedge their bets. But I mean, my dad was told by every liquor, all these uncles of mine, other liquor store owners that I grew up knowing, they all told my dad he was crazy for letting me build a website. The internet was a fad. 1996, it's a fad. How can you spend $25,000, 15 on the site and then a little to kick it up? And that was a lot of money for a small business that does 300,000 in profit a year. And, you know, building winelibrary.com was crazy. Moving all the money from print and direct mail to Google AdWords was crazy. Now I built this $40 million company from four and now I'm spending all my time in this thing called YouTube and making videos. Who, the, who do I think I am? What is this? That's crazy. Then my financial advisor said it was crazy that I put all my money that I'd saved into Facebook and Twitter stock. That was crazy. Starting an advertising agency by being a wine merchant. That was crazy. You know, buying Bitcoin in 2014 was crazy. This, you know, I mean, I mean, nothing, nothing. I don't really remember anything I was excited about that wasn't met with blind, you can do it from my mom. And then probably not from everybody else. That is, that's the story of my life. I, I've kind of learned that my wife is almost a reverse indicator. <laughs> she goes, uh, what? I go, I am onto something. I love she, it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, gosh, every, it, it's such a huge piece of knowledge for anyone to gather, which is that no one else knows anything that they're all just kind of using these patterns they've learned from other things and trying to handicap whether something new is actually gonna work or not. And so it's so much easier to go, that'll never work because they're probably gonna be right more times than not. But it's just such a terribly um, uh, demotivating piece happening. of advice. It's happening to me right now. As I explain to people that NFT is gonna be the ultimate arbitrage for influencers that have built real communities, the the way that artists are gonna get their, their actual economics, the fact that people will care about social currency at scale, virtual goods. You know, these are all things that I believe in and it's hard for people to understand. I have to say things to them like, how much do you think three years ago at the height of it, two years ago at the height of it, somebody would pay for a blue check on Instagram? And you know, the way, however I story tell that, a lot of people are like, oh, a lot. I'm like, well, that's what NFT is going to be. They're like, but wait a minute. I can take a screenshot of it. I'm like, you can also have a fake Prada bag. You're allowed to buy a fake Rolex. You know, people struggle with new things. They don't understand the blockchain. They don't understand, you know, these things. And so, I mean, this is why I love having a relationship with you. I used to go crazy 
with people about Netflix versus Blockbuster. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yes, but you had a lot more financial and emotional reasons too. I saw it from a hundred fucking miles away. It just was obvious to me. And listen, and, and not to be not to be kissing your ass here, but seriously, I was a wine person a long time ago, and I was a direct marketing guy. And when I saw what you were doing, I was going, "Oh Jesus, this is! I can't believe he's the first person who's kind of building this out." I it's so self evident to me, and not just and same with Jeff Bezos. I go, "They're uh, not nuts. This is so self evident to me." I don't know if you're going to see this. You're about to see some goose. I literally, literally. There have been three companies that I've ever bought public stock of, ever, in my entire life, over the counters. It's just, I'm, you know what's funny about me? I don't want the money, I want the happiness. I don't get great joy in buying stock. One of the reasons I love NFT is I love to doodle. And (laughs) yeah, people don't know this about me. So like, this speaks to me. I've always been obsessed with Walt Disney and Vince McMahon, why? IP creation, the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan are goofy, and Mickey Mouse, I get it. And so this is gonna be a great space for me, but the reason you just said Bezos and I got goosebumps is Amazon, Netflix, and Shopify are the three companies that I've bought. Every other public share I own is because I invested in a lot of private companies that went public, right? I'm about to have a big one with Coinbase. I'm gonna have those shares, but it's not because I'm buying them on the open market. And by the way, I probably should because I've been very right about a lot of companies and I've just, it's just not where I get my excitement, but I get it. It's very obvious to me. Yeah, it's such a it's such a great a great thing. But it is it makes it makes what it was makes life exciting. It makes it fun. It's being able to see these things happening and go. Here's what I think is going to go down, and having it go down doesn't get much better than that. So Gary, I, I'm not going to. By the way, the historical rep, the historical correctness, is what I live for. Is what you what? It's what I live, live for. Oh, I know. I like it. I like it. It's a fun game. Are you better at seeing? It than others. It's a real business challenge for th- thought leaders and thinkers and pontificators and debaters and curiositors. Like that's my game. Yeah, and I think in this game that we play, so much of it comes down to this. I'll call it informed instinct, which is that you go. There's all this stuff in my head, and I can't draw the dots for you. I can't necessarily lay it all logically, but it's lining up, and something is telling me it's going to go this way. And then people go, "Oh, he's a good guesser. Or he's got." And it is, but it's also trusting this impulse that something's going to happen is actually going to happen. That once you learn to trust yourself on that, it's such a great uh, way to sort out all these possible things you could be doing. Right. Well, cool. Listen, like I know I got I to lose you in a second to stay keep you on your schedule. Um, one really last question: You are have so much shit going on, and I hear you hear you say the balance is so important. Do you have any certain trick you use to try and keep your head from exploding? From making sure you have uh, have time for the other stuff? Not judgment. Not what? Not judging myself. Yeah. That's a good one. A lack of judgment on yourself allows you to not judge others, which is healthy. And it also makes you not dwell, which allows you to drop 33 plates while you've got 86 in the air and you're still thrilled with your net positive outcome. In that looking back in historical correctness, people only remember that one plate you managed to uh, keep going and they forget about the other uh, 79 that- uh, 1,000%. And if you you have the humility to respect your craft, I love entrepreneurship, not because it's money, but because it's fair. Yeah. When I lose, I deserve it and I like (laughs) it. 
I, True. You know, like I, I like that I passed on Uber twice. I like that I bought some Bitcoin in 14, but not enough. I like my losses. Yep. There's some of the plates you drop, and that's fine. You know, it's part, part of the nature of it. Closest to a meritocracy we're going to find. Yes, that's true. Well, well cool. Listen, thanks so Thank much you. for squeezing half an hour with me. Um, good luck, and hopefully we can get a chance to see each other face-to-face -face in the not-too-distant uh, future. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, Gary. Bye-bye. All right. Episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Today's highlighted review is Fire by The Radicals. This is one of the best podcasts that I've ever listened to in my life. Thank you, Gary, for all of this amazing content. Thanks to The Radicals. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.